Why, hello there. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards with pureandsimplebible.com. So glad to have a great conversation again, and I'm glad you're with me. Today I've got Bryce Whitaker, and he is back. He's been on the program before, coming back again. This time, Bryce is going to be the interviewer, and I'm going to be the guest. Bryce has asked if he can come on board as a helper, so he calls himself my PSB intern and his first task was to interview me and kind of get all of the behind-the-scenes steps and see how it works in addition to recording. So I asked him to come in and record our conversation so he could see it from top to bottom. Now, something that's new about this episode, and they won't always be this way, but I will do my best to let you know when they are, is that there's a video. And if you subscribe to PSB YouTube, you can go watch this podcast recording. You can also see uh, several small videos where it's specifically about the questions associated in this video. So uh, go check that out on PSB YouTube. It's a first of its kind, and we look forward to content like this in the future coming out on the channel. So anyway, uh, we're going to jump into a great conversation. Let's begin. In turn. (laughs) Yes, sir. Welcome to day one. Um, So I've already talked to the audience a bit about what's happening here. But just in case somebody fast forwarded to this part of it, you volunteered to want to help out with Pure and Simple Bible. So here you are volunteering. Here I am. And I threw a big time curveball because you thought you were going to come in as the guest. And then we like stepped in here and I said, so I'm going to have you ask me questions. Yep. To give you that full experience. Came in all ready to go. How are you <laughs> feeling about that? Feeling good. Feeling yeah. good. We'll see how it goes. Well, you're also my first um, video guest for this. Turning it in. Well, video, you're the host. So you're the first person. This is my doing, show now. Yeah. <laughs> <Ba-do-ba-do-do>. <laughs> there you go. But you listen to the podcast. At least I assume you do. Yeah. You've told me in the past a couple know. episodes behind but okay well um so you kind of get the format of what this is going to be it's a dialogue we discuss bible together and uh i see if there's anything else i want to make you aware of why don't you and just in case somebody didn't know who you were you know you've been on here previously but, but maybe it's been a while so tell us who you are what you do where you're from that sort of thing yeah my name is bryce whitaker i just moved into town a couple months back uh, I am currently engaged to someone here at the Valley Parkway Congregation. Shout out, Crystal. There you go. And uh, yeah, I started working at Fidelity Investments here recently. I was trying to get involved with, with the congregation here. And uh, we've got a great group of people and things are rolling and happy to, to help out any any way I can. You find uh, a lot of satisfaction in kind of jumping into projects like this. Because I've noticed you do that at church too, with our younger folks especially. It's like you didn't just wait to be asked. You were very proactive about it. Is that kind of who you are as a person? You're, you're going to be proactive or is that unique to your spiritual walk? No, I, I really just like to kind of, there's a, a quote from a, a movie I watched as a kid, see a need, fill a need. I think it was in the movie Robots or something like that. <laughs> and uh, it's just something that, you know, our congregation here is great. We've got a lot of things. There's really not that many holes that needed to be filled. Um, just kind of one of the areas that I, I saw that I could help out was, was with a lot of the, the younger people. Mm. And uh, it's been great. I've 
I've never had a single person when, when you pitch to, to have a study say, no, not interested. Yeah. And so we had our first uh, young, young people study uh, this past week, and I think we had 13 people show up. Oh, wow. Um, so cool. yeah, it, was, it was really cool. cool, really good. You're on the uh, a hit list, so to speak, <laughs> in your old home state of people. Actually, I think I'm on the hit list and others at Valley Parkway because we stole you uh, little from bit. out there. So you're loved from coast to coast, right? I try. Okay, okay. Well, I have invited you on to be a guest host, and then I'm going to be your guest guest or just a guest and then in the future um basically for the audience who's listening and or watching um bryce is going to help me out with current simple bible but we're not certain where at yet so i'm taking him through in this episode like point by point the recording the post editing everything and then you'll determine where you feel like it would be most helpful for you to to um serve so this could be the like the one and only time that you are the guest host. No or, pressure there. Yeah, or it could be you know that you really dig it and you want to go out and interview people yourself, and then we've got two you know recordings going on, and that's going to be helpful for me to not feel that burden of every week putting out an episode. So anyway, I'm glad you're here. Good to be here. Yeah. So why don't you take it away as the guest host, and I'll be the guest, and we'll just have a conversation. So you titled this study, The Knots of Baptism. Mm-hmm. So what, what kind of prompted that, that title specifically? Well, I'm not the best title maker, so I just take like the, the, the main thought. And for me, when I have studies with people or conversations, especially with folks um, who are religious, but maybe they're not members of the Church of Christ, a lot of times when we talk about baptism, uh, we're talking about two very different things. And so I've found just naturally in those conversations, if I can help people see what it's not, then it'll be easier to explain what it is instead of only focusing on what it is and all of their preconceptions just kind of scream against it. So I try to knock out two birds with one stone, so to speak. I like that approach because you really have to have the same definition of something to have a productive conversation. You got to be at least on the same, the same playing field talking about the same thing. Right. And so part of that, um, in this study, you might see it from our notes is that I'd actually don't start with baptism. And then, and so in any topic where, you know, there might be discord or disagreement, typically what I like to do is, um, find something common. And I think, especially for anybody who, whatever, place people may worship or whatever they might believe, finding common ground is really important. Acts chapter 17, for example, when Paul uh, was interacting with people who were not even remotely believing in Jesus, they're pagan. One of the first things he says is, I perceive you're very religious. And I think by doing that, he kind of de-escalates instead of escalating the tension. So I've got scriptures that I look at um, in this study. And, you know, for people listening or watching, they could write down these notes if they want to, but Isaiah chapter 64, Romans chapter 3, and James chapter 2 are really important for this big thought, and that is we're not trying to win an argument about getting dipped. We're trying to help people understand that they have a sin problem. Yeah, I know I've been very guilty at times of uh, back home, I'd go to a coffee shop to do some Bible studying or do some school studying and I've had conversations there where I realized on that that topic of baptism that me and the other person were on just very two different 
through different sides of it and uh, have definitely made the mistake of going about it as, okay, I need to show this person why baptism is right, which is essentially my showing them why they're wrong and why mm. I am right. Mm-hmm. And those conversations have not been productive. And I've definitely learned from that. Right. Um, but yeah, definitely, I think this is a really important way about of going about this. Yeah, it's a mindset that, of course, I want them to know that baptism is essential. And, you know, anybody listening, you're going to walk away from this study, hopefully, with that have been said several times. Baptism is essential. I believe it with all my heart. Um, but for those who are listening right now and they're already flipping to verses to prove me wrong, let's just take a deep breath and start with this in mind. We have a sin problem. And when we reach an age where we understand what's right and what's wrong, there's not a person on earth other than Jesus who's ever been able to do it right. And those scriptures that I mentioned, Isaiah 64, um, I might actually flip over there just to, to give us a taste of how ugly and awful sin is. But Isaiah 64, um, verses 6 and 7, that's what I'm going to focus on for this part of it. And it says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. And he even says a couple chap- or a few chapters earlier in chapter 59, um, I love verse 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, meaning God could hear you. God can see you. But verse 2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. So, again, um, when I start any study with folks, it's important that we have this common ground, that we're not in it to just get them dipped. We're in it to show that we have a sin problem and that God is amazing that he would give us a way, an avenue, and that is Jesus, to save us from our sins. So the title is The Knots of Baptism. Right. So what is baptism not? Sure. So, yeah, we can't just dance around uh, what we agree on forever. There has to come a point where we start talking about our differences. And I have five different things that baptism's not. And I just, it's based off of conversations I've had with people across the years. And it, I, I tried to put them in a category that, that um, assumes that this is where they would go next and this is where they would go next. And part of it, I call it the knots, is because I feel like the Church of Christ a lot of times plays janitor when it comes to the gospel. And so all the, the religious groups who, who um, are people who believe in Jesus are sharing this the good news that Jesus saves. But a very, very common theme is that God's grace is so good and there's nothing you have to do ever, ever, ever Right off the bat, you know, I know that that can't be true because of faith. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for and certain what we do not see. So um, by faith, that means this trusting and obedience. There's, I have to have a response to it. Anyway, what we do in the church a lot of times is we follow up with this broom and dustpan, so to speak. And we're like, yeah, grace is great, but you got to have faith. Or, yeah, um, we're saved by grace 
through faith, but you got to be baptized. And it seems like people only hear us say, yeah, but. And so that's kind of where I wanted to start. What baptism is not, this is what they traditionally hear from us, but then we also want to reassure them what it is because I think what's so fabulous about the gospel is that it's so much sweeter than what I could make up. It's a tough conversation whenever you have to put the the but right after God is good and God's grace. It is. It is. And I, I want to encourage Christians to not feel too guilty about having to do that because we have to. But <laughs> part of the good news is we can say, speak our differences, but then also explain. So let me give, let me give you the first one. Um, baptism is not a physical washing. Some people think it is, that there's something holy in the water. And so when we tell them you have to be baptized, they'll say things like, well, it, you know, there's uh, it's not about holy water and, and you're turning it into that and you're making the water so special. And frankly, I, I want to agree with them. It's not about physical washing. And what it is about is a spiritual washing. So it's it's this first point is probably the easiest for most people to agree on, that it's not about the physical, it's about the spiritual. And the scriptures that I look at um, is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, which uh, to me is, is probably the clearest scripture on baptism, having a spiritual washing. Now, some people will counter and try to say this isn't even about baptism. It's about Noah, and it's just using it as an example. Well, that should attest to the power of baptism, that it's used as the example in just that Noah was saved, so we can be saved through water, uh, albeit he was at a boat and we're dipped under water. But will you read that for me, please? First um, Peter chapter three, verse twenty-one. Yeah, it says there is also an anti-type which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So that scripture tells us quite plainly, it's not about being physically clean holy water the way that people traditionally think about it this is the proof text about why it's not the water it's about the answer of a good conscience towards god but that doesn't mean that i don't obey god i rather obey god with the correct mindset that it's not about the water it's about faith and uh, acts twenty two sixteen is another one um, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the lord that's Ananias talking to Paul, but the, the concept, again, is that it's a spiritual washing. So that's our first baptism not, and then what it is. It kind of boils down, he's just saying, it's not a bath. <laughs> it's not what it's about. Exactly. And I would say, I don't, maybe you can tell me about your baptism. In my baptism, I did not come out of the water cleaner. I was, it was a dirty place, and I came out dirtier physically, even though spiritually I was clean. So it, again, it's not about the water. What about you? Mine was just a cold baptistry. Mm. You froze your sins away. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I think that this picture of a washing, we're going to get more into it later about it being a, a spiritual washing, um, but it kind of goes back to that picture of Isaiah uh, 64 that we read earlier of the, the filthy rags. Uh, and there's a picture in the minor prophet Zechariah of the high priest uh, kind of in the, the courtroom of God. And it's the, the way he's described as his, his robes and everything he's wearing is about the filthiest words that you can use in Hebrew. Uh, and he's just disgusting and he's filthy. And the devil's coming to, to accuse him, say, you have sinned. You're, you're dirty. You're, you're not worthy. Mm. And 
the picture is God cleansing him. God yeah. is washing away all of that filth and his, his garments are, are white and pure and holy. That is good. That makes me think of Isaiah 6, you know, when, when he sees God uh, and it's just the throne room and he's seeing, you know, he's the, the train of the robe of God. And he says, whoa, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips of unclean people. It's like when you encounter God's presence, uh, it reminds you just how dirty you are. Baptism is supposed to show us that through faith we can be cleansed. So what's the second one? Well, um, some people may think about, uh, they may agree that it's, it's, it's more of an act of faith, right? And so it's not about the water per se. But there's a whole lot of different types of baptisms. And so the second knot is, is classifying what biblical baptism isn't versus what it is. And it's definitely not a pouring or a sprinkling. Now, right off the bat, millions, maybe billions of people are going to disagree because they had, maybe as a baby, they had water poured over them or sprinkled, or maybe even as a grown-up, that was the baptism that they um, utilized. But even the word baptism... It's just a, a Greek word, baptizo, that we, we use this word transliterate. And that just means we moved it from Greek straight into English. And we don't have an English equivalent um, as far as baptizo, and so we just call it baptism. Now, the true word or the definition of baptizo is immersion, which means to be dunked or dipped. And uh, fully, fully under, right? And so in the Church of Christ, we immerse penitent sinners for the remission of sins. They are fully under, and then they come out of the water. And the scriptures that I've, I've shared with um, in the study whenever I preach it is John chapter 3, verse 23, and then Acts chapter 8, verse 36 through 38. Um, both of those are explaining a narrative, so they're not commands, but the, in the narrative, it says they baptize because there's much water there or they went down into the water. And I would even say that, um, like Romans 6, when it talks about being buried, did you just, just turn be, there? Beat me to uh -huh. it. <laughs> well, uh, how about this? I'll just say Romans 6 is a great example. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that, that Romans 6, it compares it to a burial. And uh, I've heard people use the example, if you have a pet die and you go take it out to the backyard, have a little ceremony, you don't just set it on the ground and then sprinkle a little dirt on it and go back inside. You're going to you don't salt and, bay yeah, the, the dirt onto it? Definitely not. And so you're going to dig a hole, you're going to put it in there, and you're going to fully cover it, and that'll be its its ceremony and its right. burial. And people just don't translate that over to what mm -hmm. baptism is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is one of those where uh, people in the Church of Christ sometimes are very tenacious about being right, and we can't see the forest for the trees, so we're going we're gonna to win the immersion argument at all costs. The scripture you just brought up, there is definitely a spiritual component to it. And that is, this is to remind me that Jesus died, and he buried, and then he came back. He resurrected. So I die to sin, and I'm buried with Christ in the waters of baptism, and I rise again. You have to be immersed, but you also have to understand why you're being immersed. You're not just doing it to prove a point to those people who don't dip all the way. You're doing it because you want to be like Jesus, and I think that's really important. And going back to First Peter 3 and 21, it says that all the things that happen in that are through the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, yeah, these first two 
are really to help clarify that um, it's it's not about the holy water and it's it's uh, about having a good conscience, but it's also doing it God's way, and that is to be fully immersed. So you have number three is that it's not a suggestion. This one's kind of getting more to the uh, to the nitty gritty of it. Yeah, um, this will be where it. it Certain people may be alienated because they don't like to hear that you have to do something. But um, usually whenever I've talked to people and we get past, you know, we agree that, okay, well, it's um, it definitely is biblical. Right. It's it's not this physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. And you definitely got to be immersed. Bible pattern seems pretty clear on that. Then they'll say things like, well, that's fine. But we know it's just a suggestion because we're saved by grace. And uh, we're not saved by works. And so, but, yeah, but (laughs) the problem with that is that God's grace, which is a free gift, we didn't deserve it. Uh, It can still have conditions attached to it. It could have a thousand conditions and it would still be free. And so any example we give, you know, a free car, but you've got to get insurance and you've got to fill up the gas and you've got to maintain it it was still a free gift and it doesn't diminish the value of its freeness at all i could never save myself there's no merit i could ever do to to deserve to be saved god has a plan and by grace through faith he's commanded us to respond to his grace and we respond in a number of ways together we respond by hearing We've got to hear Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We've got to repent. You have to. Jesus' first recorded words as a preacher are repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And uh, so the scriptures that I have is Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Two command verses uh, where we are commanded to be baptized for the remission of sins or commanded to go and baptize people for the mission of sins. And I know command and obey are dirty words to some folks. I find them to be just as beautiful as the word grace or mercy because they're God's words, and I want to obey God. I think on your point of the the attitude that we go about, I think it's Luke 17 and and verse 10 uh, where Jesus tells his disciples that once you've done everything that you are commanded to do, the mindset is that, we're still just unprofitable servants. It was We're just doing what our duty was to do. Amen. I'm glad you brought that one up. That's a standard. I, I keep that verse in my hip for almost every conversation because whether it's baptism or any command of the New Testament, when people start to scoff at obeying God, I uh, try to remind them of the mindset of obedience, and that is we're unprofitable. That's a good one. So now we're on the same page of whether it's needed or not, where, where do you go from there? Well, if if somebody is willing to say, okay, I get that it's a command, uh, typically they're going to start throwing out, um, we can obey God's commands, but but to, to add anything to grace is a work of the flesh. And so they're probably not going to be convinced that baptism is necessary for salvation. They'll just say it's a command. Um, and, and we'll talk about where they go with that for number five, which is a believer's baptism. But this one is is essential because if somebody's going to say baptism is a work of the flesh, uh, then it's kind of like their trump card. Ha, you can't 
do anything because it's work of the flesh. So I typically bring up Ephesians 2 verse 8 very early in these conversations. It's going to come up at some point anyway. Right. And so I tell them, we're not saved by works. Ephesians 2 verse 8. And by taking ownership of that verse, it can't be weaponized against what we teach on baptism. Because it's simply true. We're, we agree. We're not saved by works. I don't want to just lob a scripture and they lob a scripture and we just like get in this fight. I want to, when somebody says we're not saved by works, I want to say, amen. You are so right. We're not saved by works. But here's a couple of scriptures. I want, I want to actually read them. So how about you read for me in Colossians 2, verse 11 and 12. And I'm going to flip over to Titus chapter 3, verse 4 through 7. And uh, we'll make some comments on them. So go ahead whenever you're there. Colossians 2 and 12. 2 verse 11 and 12. <clears throat> Colossians 2, 11 and 12. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Yeah, so this is uh, this baptism. Um, it's called the circumcision of Christ, and it's the thing that that cuts sin out of our life and puts us into Christ, as Galatians chapter three verse twenty six talks about. It goes in conjunction with what I'm going to read to you in Titus chapter three, uh, verse four. It says. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. Ooh, I love that. Don't you? Just, it, it, it's the perfect scripture to go along with Ephesians 2. It de-weaponizes that scripture because Paul write, wrote both of these. And he says, it's not, salvation is not by works that we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. Well, what's, according to his mercy. Two things, the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. That lines up with Acts 2.38. We're baptized for the remission of sins and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? It lines up with Jesus in John chapter 3. Unless a man is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. This is consistent through the New Testament that it's not a work of the flesh. It is an act of faith that is obeying what God has graciously asked us to do. Um, I, I, you know, a lot of times people may not agree with that and, and they've just been kind of indoctrinated with Ephesians 2, 8, works, works, works. But the Bible seems to be very consistent that it's an act of faith that we do to obey God. And when it's compared to circumcision, the circumcision of Christ, it kind of makes you think of, of what circumcision was for people in the Old Testament. And it was the sign that you were one of God's people. Mm -hmm. um, that was the sign that was given to Abraham uh, that all the, the men had to, to do that, and that was their sign of the covenant. And Jesus brought in a new covenant, and this seems to be what his sign was that he chose. Yeah, um, that's a great point. No Jew uh, decided they didn't want to be circumcised because they felt like it would take away from their relationship with God. In fact, uh, you know, the irony is that they relied so much on their circumcision that they couldn't see God's grace, which is a warning to people in the Church of Christ who rely so much on baptism that they forget that there's something bigger than baptism. We're going to talk about that in the conclusion. 
But there, it's more than baptism. It's about appreciating that God has, has called us to be different. But like you're saying, that thing that separates us from the world and puts us in Christ, you know, in the old law it was circumcision, but now it's baptism. I, I'm thinking about in verse 12 in Colossians 2, it says, uh, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So God's the one at work. This is God's work. And again, all we're trying to do is help people see whenever they're kind of locked in on uh, it's a work, it's a work, it's a work, we say it's God's work. And we are accomplishing God's work through faith. So it's God's work and the work of the person who's having to lower you down right. and lift you back up. <laughs> yeah. Of of the three parties of God who assigned it, the one who is baptizing you and you getting dipped, you're doing the least. <laughs> <laughs> so we're on number five. Yeah. Uh, this is, I think, if we can get people to this point, um, it's probably easiest to help them see the truth. But a lot of times we start at this point, and so that's where it becomes, a, oh, yeah, this scripture, oh, yeah, that scripture. So hopefully, again, people have been on a journey with this. Maybe this is multiple Bible studies, and, you know, especially for somebody in the church who's listening to this. Um, you don't have to close the, the sale the first time you talk to somebody. I used to think that. It used to be how I operated, and I felt so guilty if I left the conversation and they didn't know Acts 2.38 meant what it meant, what it says. But by the time I'm talking about this, maybe we've been talking for a few weeks or whatever. But the, the fifth thing that baptism is not is that it's not a believer's baptism that somebody who is already saved, they do it to showcase to maybe the local church or they de they're declaring to Christ that their life now is committed to him. A lot of people, a lot of people advocate that. And it's so, your outward sign of the inward faith and salvation you already have. Exactly. In fact, the phrase you just said is what I, I hear the most, an outward sign of an inward change. You go to a lot of uh, denominational websites, and that's how they'll define baptism, an outward sign of an inward change. And so they'll, they'll say baptism doesn't save us. It's just an outward sign that proves to the world that we belong to Christ. And I would counter with that that um, all the scriptures we've read so far are enough but what I would say is baptism is the moment that a penitent sinner is saved and becomes a Christian. That's as clear as I can make it. And the scriptures I use are Romans 6, 3 and 4, and Galatians 3, verse 26. And uh, as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, is Galatians 3. And Romans 6, as you previously read, is talking how we die to sin, we're buried with Christ, we raise to a newness of life. These are like salvation points, meaning I can clearly say at this point I was lost and at this point I was saved. Hopefully, when somebody studied with us, they recognize that we're not saving ourselves, nor do we think that that like baptismal water magically saved us, but we recognize that it's God's grace that we're responding to through this faithful action. I think the conversion of Paul is probably the, the biggest example of that that we have, that when he's on the, the road and he sees the Lord, he's, he's struck blind. When you look at all the things that Paul went through leading up to his baptism, 
he had seen the resurrected Lord in some some right. way or another on the road. Right. We find afterwards that that he's been praying. You know, right. if if you're in his shoes and you realize you've been killing the people who are serving God um, the the right way, that you're going to be on your knees praying. Mm-hmm. And so he had seen the Lord. He was praying, and none none of that, nothing up to that point, had saved him. And then Ananias is sent to him. And, and what you already read in, in uh, Acts chapter 22, he says, And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. If you can see the risen Lord and, and be praying to God and not be saved at that point, mm-hmm. I think it definitely points to the, the necessity of baptism. I'm so glad you brought that up because Paul was there. Jesus is talking to them or to him. And what must I do? Call on my name. Jesus could have said that, and you'll be saved. Have faith. But no, he had to go and find someone who could teach him and then baptize him. So you're right. This is probably the best example we have in the New Testament about the necessity of baptism when he has every option or every there's every possibility before that for Jesus to just tell him, have faith and confess my name. But he, you know, he didn't do that. Well done. Yeah, Cornelius had an angel speak to him, and the angel didn't say, "Oh, just just believe in God," because I mean, he already he already was believing in God, but he said, "Go find Peter." Right. Peter's going to tell you what you need to do. Right. Right. Yeah. These are these are great. And so what this could do, Bryce, for our study is uh, move us maybe into the. We're going to zoom out to a little bit more macro, and I like to end this, whether it's with one person or whenever I'm preaching this. By moving back to that perspective. So we kind of begin at the beginning. Make sure we set a foundation about how awful sin is. And that's what we want people to know is that we all have a sin problem. Baptism saves us. But then in this perspective, I think it's important to remember that baptism is essential. And so is a lot of other stuff. It's not only about baptism. We're not single issue Christians. Right. We don't cherry pick doctrine. And... So I like to, you know, maybe people have seen the staircase here and in and, and, and many Church of Christ's uh, on the whiteboard in the invitation, HBRCB. Classic right? HBRCB. Here, uh, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. And sometimes people do it as a stairway. And so I illustrate it in this, that hearing and believing and repenting and confessing and be baptized, uh, all of those were essential before somebody was baptized. And they're worthy of our obsession, the way we obsess about baptism. It just seems as though, since a lot of people don't agree with baptism, that's the one we focus on. But that's not even the end. There's so much even after baptism that's essential. And the way that we transform our lives by the renewing of our mind, there's like a thousand steps. Baptism is just one of them. And it's so important because it puts us in Christ. But that's not the end. That's the beginning. And that's why we have so many epistles is because they were written to people who already had gone through those steps or already practicing Christians right. and just needed some guidance along the way. Right. I And I tell people, you know, people like you and others that, that are interested in studying with folks, um, when we only focus on baptism, we're focusing on like two seconds of that person's spiritual life. Because if you think about it, HBRC, the hear, believe, repent, confess, that could take days, weeks, months, years of sowing seed for them to hear to the point where they realize that they need to repent. And once that once they repent, it kind of goes quick because they're going to confess that Jesus is the Son of God and they want to be baptized. Don't lose heart that, well, I told them they needed to be baptized, but they didn't repent. Well, 
they're not repenting because they you want an argument on baptism. They're repenting because they realize that God isn't so far that he can't hear or he can't see, but that my sins and your sins, that our sins are what separate. That's what we're getting them to hear that they need to repent of. And that takes time. So, again, we don't focus on two seconds. We're trying to focus on a life conversion from somebody being in darkness and now they're being in Christ. So you have in your notes that now we're going to look at the Lord's way of life. So how, how are we going to dive into that? Well, again, we're kind of zooming out from baptism. But Jesus, I know maybe I'm beating a dead horse metaphorically, but Jesus was interested in our life. He wasn't interested in just a couple seconds where we get dipped and then we move on. So hear me, brethren who believe in baptism for the remission of sins, if we never study with people about the need for repentance and then the need for bearing fruit, and we only focus with them on that two seconds of dip, then we're, we're missing out on what Jesus is saying. Jesus said that if anyone desires to come after me, this is Matthew 16, 24, if anyone desires to come after me, so number one, people need to desire it. You know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. We can't force people to be baptized. They have to desire it. You must deny yourself. This is the second thing that Jesus mentions. And so that's a process that takes a lifetime. I mean, how many years have you been baptized? I was baptized when I was 14, so like eight. So you've had eight years. Have you learned to deny yourself in a way that you've mastered it? It's a daily thing. Amen. So I've been baptized for uh, 20, let's see, 27 years, I think, 26 years. And I can honestly say I still struggle with learning how to deny myself. I'm comfortable saying that because I understand this is a life thing. Jesus said, if anyone desires me, deny himself, take up a cross, and follow me. He wasn't interested in winning a single argument he was interested in winning a soul. And so that's why we conclude kind of in this um, arena, you know, zooming out, is we got to be interested in their soul and not just convincing them to get baptized. Someone mentioned the other day uh, at church that we can see Jesus wasn't interested in winning arguments because he could have won any argument that he had. <laughs> and there's sometimes where someone will ask him a question and uh, he won't even he won't even answer. He'll pose a question to them. Right. And when any time he uh, someone told me uh, someone else told me um, that uh, Jesus would, would debate at the drop of a hat. Sometimes he would drop the hat, <laughs> but he didn't always go right. for to, just to win an argument. I don't know exactly where it is up there, but I've got a book called Jesus is the question. And it makes the case that Jesus was asked 180 questions, but he only directly answered three. Whoa. To your point, what I'm saying is I'm trying to validate your point that Jesus could have won every argument or answered every question, but sometimes he was at something, he was after something deeper. And so in return to a question, he might ask a question. He might teach a parable. He might do something unexpected because he wanted transformation of the heart and not simply to own the Pharisees, right? Or the equivalent of it. So, and we're we're in such an age where what blows up on on social media, what everyone craves is like is 
when you got two people in a debate hall and one person's just getting flamed. Right. And where someone is just getting dunked on. Right. And that's just really the, the world we live in. And that's just not how Jesus went about things. I agree. I don't know if on this platform I want to have somebody I disagree with sit across and interact with me that way. But I, I, I'm interested more in finding avenues where I can do that so that our brethren can experience other views, but then also how to uh, answer those views. So across the next years, I would ask my listeners to pray for ways that we can engage with people in healthy conversations and, and listen as much as we try to speak. Bryce, the, the final thing, our people, you know, we've talked about baptism a whole lot, but the way I end this study uh, is w- about assurance. Because a group who advocates for baptism to the detriment of discipling a person, uh, I have found many times they don't train that person how to have assurance. You know, you've been baptized, but have you been able to forgive yourself of what you did? Are you able to let go of your guilt? You know, and um, I felt it myself and other people have as well that did I know enough to get baptized? Um, When I think about sin now and I appreciate how great God is and how awful my sin is, I look back on my baptism and I go, uh, did I know enough? Have you felt that, or have you ever talked to people who've who felt that way? Hundred percent. That that's something that is really common when when you talk about people, especially that were that grew up in the church. That you you grew up and from as soon as you can understand what words are, you hear, you know you got to be baptized to be saved. I remember being like eight years old, sitting around in our our family Bible reading, and uh, maybe, maybe I was ten, and uh, just hearing these scriptures about. Like needed to be baptized and my dad's reading it and I'm right. just sitting there sweating like, wait, do we need to fill up the bathtub or, or what? And then, yeah, it's really, really common. Well, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you sweated because I sweated. My son sweated. Um, and I think just in the experiences I've had with members of the church, a lot of times because we've emphasized baptism so much and maybe not, other things around it, uh, we're, we're then experiencing those other things after we've been baptized. But the example that I like to give for assurance, and, and you and others could look at First um, John chapter 5, verse 13. That's going to be my proof text on assurance. But I like to tell people about um, getting married. And so you're getting married soon, yep. and uh, you're anticipating that moment. Uh you likely think you know enough to get married right now. I would imagine so because you asked her to marry you. Is that fair? That's fair. Okay. You probably know that you don't know everything. Is that fair? Yep. Okay. But you you feel confident that I may not know everything, but I know enough. Right? I learn as I go. Right. I felt that way too. And I've been married for nearly 16 years at this time of recording. Um and I look back on the 16 years and I go, whoo, I didn't know anything when I got married. And if I went back in time and talked to 16 years ago, Jonathan, and be like, bro, you don't know enough. You're going to learn so much. So you need to put this off. Jonathan back then would like kick me, future <laughs> Jonathan, in the butt and be like, get back on your spaceship and, you know, time travel back to the future because I want to get married. 
I think that's a great parallel for baptism where we know enough and we, we've been convinced, whether we learned about how awful sin was or not, we knew enough to know we needed to be saved and we wanted to be baptized. And from that daily journey onwards, we learn more and more and more. And I imagine, I'm, you know, I'm 37. Uh, I imagine when I'm 137, if God were to grant me that long life, and I don't think I'll be here that long, but I bet at 137, I'd look back and say, I still don't know enough yet. Don't you think? Absolutely. Will you read 1 John 5, verse 13 for me? It says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Yeah, I've written these things that you may know, not that you may think or that you may hope or that maybe, but that you may know you have eternal life. And so for our brethren who, again, we've spent a long time focusing on baptism to the detriment of the other things in our spiritual walk, we can take a deep breath. We can say, I, I didn't know everything, but I knew enough. And now I'm going to learn a little bit more day by day. It, it can be an emotional decision. Like when we can present people with all of these scriptures, we can make all of the arguments, but it, it's a lifetime decision. I think it's Luke 14 talks that Jesus is speaking about counting the cost of, of dis- discipleship, that it is a huge decision. Uh, I, I remember I was probably 12 or 13 at a meeting and uh, someone came up to me and, and asked if I wanted to, to lead a song and I wasn't baptized yet. So I told him, oh, I, I haven't been baptized. And the the guy looked at me and he just said, you need to work on that. Ooh. And it, it was coming in hot. <laughs> and it was something I've been thinking about it since I was 10. And so I, I'll be honest, I, I went in the car and I, I cried because I was like, it was just an emotional thing. Yeah. And I know I know people who have been converted as adults or young adults. And it wasn't something that someone just handed them the scriptures and they're like, oh, I guess I need to do it. But I, I've heard people that, you know, I need, I need to prove myself that I can do this first or or whatever list of things. It can be an emotional thing. Yeah. And we need to give people some time, give them some grace to, to, to figure it out because it's a big it's a big deal. You have opened a can of worms, brother, because I feel very passionately about counting the cost. And I don't think that we should make this a sales pitch that ends in baptism. Hopefully people as they listen to this, um, are absorbing some of that, that yes, baptism is essential, but if you don't know what you're doing, you're just getting wet. You're not saved because it's an act of faith. And if we pressure, especially young people, but if we pressure folk to get dipped and they weren't ready, then they're not saved. I think about Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 22, And uh, in my Bible, the little heading says the cost of following Jesus. And there's two men who come and declare their disciple like they want to follow him. This is crazy to me. I I remember it's just recently that I um, started thinking about this verse in this context. But um, I just closed my Bible and lost my place. So Matthew chapter 8, let me get back over there. Verse 19, a scribe came up to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. By our reckoning, he should say, okay, be baptized. Jesus tells him, foxes have holes and birds of air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Translation, you need to go figure out what this means. Can you really follow me? Go count the cost. And counting the cost, even that wasn't the 
purpose of baptism not. Counting the cost is a healthy conversation that all church leaders need to have so that we don't have people trying to pressure or make it high stakes this decision. You've got to see things through. And that might be the afternoon that you count the cost, but sometimes some of us need some more time. I think showing grace in that process is, is huge. So, well, brother, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. And uh, I look forward to what we have in store for PSB in the future. Me too. Well, I'm so thankful that Brother Bryce was with me today, grateful for the opportunity to talk about baptism as a subject and considering some of the things that it's not and some of the things that it is. Now, you, friend, may or may not agree with some of the things that I've just talked about. So if you don't agree and you do want to reach out and talk about it, you can always email me at pureandsimplebible at gmail.com. Also, by the way, I would love for you to reach out if you do agree with me and you want to send words of encouragement. Use the same email, please. And really what I'm interested in is being right by the Lord and His Word. So if I'm wrong, I want to be corrected. And if I'm right, to God be the glory. It's not about winning arguments per se. It's about God's Word being revealed and glorified. So I'm interested in that, and uh, like I said, sometimes baptism can be a subject that people get divided over. I'm looking for unity, and I hope you are too. Now, until next week, you can always go to the website. It's updated. There's new videos. The podcast is up there regularly, and one of these days I'll start writing workbooks again. But you can download the workbooks and everything else that's there absolutely free, so check it out. And until next time, always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.